0: To Stamkos, back to Alex Kalorn. Kalorn to Palat, up high here, Stamkos with a shot, he scores! Steven Stamkos, one-timer, and the Lightning take the
1: lead, 4-3.
2: Hey now, welcome to the season 11 finale of the Sportscasters. It is the last show of our 10th year and 11th season tonight. I'm a little sad to say that I've been enjoying milking the 10 year of the Sportscasters theme for all it's worth, but it ends today as the next show will be in 2022 Our 11th year, my 11th year doing this. And 2021 has arguably been the best year uh, in the history of the show, right? I mean, it's the only year where uh, a writer was willing to write a feature about me in Sports Illustrated. Something I never believed would happen and surely will never happen again. Uh, But that writer, the great John Wertheim, will join us here for the season finale tonight. And the awesome comedian... Jim Florentine, Dolphins fanatic, will join us uh, for the last interview of the year. We'll also have a quick book club update, uh, which will include the reason why James Andrew Miller is not on this podcast tonight. And then one last thing will be a look back at the entire season. Uh, With that said, really quickly, first things first, I want to talk about two sports things personal to me. The first one being the Saints with their incredible shutout victory. As they continue to frustrate Tom Brady as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, playoff ex- excluded. Uh, a 9 to nothing shutout on Sunday, a really great win, a game that actually gives them a chance to be a playoff team this year. I think they really needed that one, and I think they might need all of the games left on the schedule, which means they would have to follow up a five-game losing streak with a five-game winning streak to get into the playoffs. Maybe they could get in with one more loss, but it'll be difficult uh, to do that. It might be difficult to get in if they win them all. I don't know. There's so many teams with around the same record that it's hard to even get into tiebreakers and who they match up with and who they don't. So we'll just let it see how it goes. But regardless, I'll be proud of this team. You know, they have faced a lot of obstacles this year. Uh, Drew Brees retired. They were $100 million behind the cap because of the flat cap thing with COVID. So they lost some of their depth. And great players like Trey Hendrickson, who's a pro bowler now for the Bengals. I think he has 13 sacks or 15 sacks. He's had a great season. And uh, they had to move on from him. Uh, So that was disappointing. Then they had, you know, the Hurricane took them away from New Orleans. uh, And that kind of caught up with them in Week 2 in the Carolina game. And they've just had an unbelievable amount of injuries to key players. Jameis Winston, obviously, it's one thing to replace Drew Brees. It's another thing to replace him and have the guy you replace him with tear ACL on Halloween. Uh, so that means all of November and December were played without Jameis. And Tyler Heineke, honestly, he's not going to do it. Taysom Hill is limited as he may be. He's much better than, did I say Tyler Heineke? I don't know why. Um, obviously, I meant the uh, the doofy-looking Manning brother himself, Trevor Simeon. It was not Tyler Heineke. I'd much rather have him than Simeon. Uh, But anyway, uh, proud of the Saints for getting the win. They've battled injuries. Coach Peyton wasn't at the game Sunday because of COVID. And that's gotten crazy around the leagues. I played the last goal in the NHL before the league shut down again, which seems crazy to me. I don't know what that will accomplish. uh, But that's where we're at in sports right now. The NHL is going to have a hell of a time. Uh, the rest of the year, with all these asymptomatic players being ruled out of games, and it's going to be tough to change that, having to deal with Canada, something the NFL doesn't. So we'll see how that goes. But proud of the Saints. Wanted to mention that. The other thing I wanted to mention is Jorginho, uh, the talented midfielder, runner-up, or third place, I guess he was, in the Balloon d'Or. Uh, Italian midfielder, part of the Euro team, part of the Chelsea Champions League team. Uh Caught my ire uh, recently on this show when he had missed a penalty. The third penalty he missed in a row for Italy. Now, Jorginho is known, for those of you who don't follow soccer, as one of the great penalty takers in the world. And he showed his brilliance in the semifinals against Spain of the Euro uh, by scoring a beautiful penalty to clinch the win and send Italy to the final. Come the final, Jorginho had a chance to win the Euros, Uh, similar to the way he won the Spain game, was stopped. Uh, Donnaruna bailed him out. We won that game. We won that Euro. So who cares about the missed penalty? Forget that. Well, after the Euros, the task of qualifying for the World Cup in this ridiculous system that they have uh, was next, and Jorginho has missed two penalties against Switzerland, either one of which, if converted, would have put Italy into the World Cup instead of where they are now, which is the playoff, which will mean that they're going to have to win two games in March, and one of them will probably be in Portugal and Ronaldo. So why do I bring Jorginho up today? Well, Chelsea played in a game today, some kind of cup, I don't know, something they're competing in. They're down to the final four. It's them, Tottenham, Liverpool, and Arsenal, I think. So I don't know. Starts with a million teams, and you get down to the best four anyway. But he made a penalty today. For Chelsea, his seventh of the year out of seven attempts. Um, He's made every single one for Chelsea this year, and he's made it look easy, to be honest. He's striking the ball with unbelievable confidence, just ice water in his veins, everyone confidently struck. And it's frustrating as an Italian fan to see this and think, here's the dilemma. Let's say it's the 93rd minute, like it was in Switzerland, or in Italy against Switzerland a few weeks ago. And we're awarded a penalty in a tie game. And to convert this penalty will mean the difference between going to the World Cup or not. Should Mancini trust Jorginho? Do you put him on the spot? Do you put someone who's established himself as a very confident penalty taker, who has scored seven in a row for his club, who has made every single penalty in a row since his last miss against Switzerland, emphatically, do you say, okay, his confidence is back and he'll make this shot, or do you look elsewhere? Now, I had said before the third one that I would have went to Bonucci there, that I would have trusted a captain who had went two for two in the Euros in the penalties scoring against Spain and England, a veteran, a pro. Not to say Jorginho at 30 isn't those things, but um, obviously Bonucci is, in terms of Italian royalty, much higher on the list than Jorginho. And I think I stick by that. I think I would still send Bonucci up instead of Jorginho. So that's where I'm at on that. If you're interested in Italian soccer talk, uh, reach out (laughs) because I'm always looking for people to talk about Italian soccer with. Uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to to Zach uh, Silberman. And uh, Zach has a best friend, Greg Dorn. Uh, They reach out to me on email. Just want to say hello to those guys. We're going to be talking. Uh, over the break about a project that they're working on. They're seeking my advice, which still blows my mind, but I'm happy to help them if I can. Hopefully their expectations aren't too high because uh, after all, I am a knucklehead in my extra bedroom in my house in North Tonawanda, New York at one o'clock in the morning by myself talking to this microphone for almost the 11th straight year. But uh, thanks to Zach and Greg for reaching out and hopefully I can be a hand to them. All right, so let's get to work. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with, Jay, with the great john wertheim Uh, then i'll be back for the book club then we'll do jim florentine and then we'll close out the year with some plugs and one last thing as sort of a retrospective of the 10-year anniversary of the sportscasters all right that's enough from me we'll take a break we'll be right back
1: they're on their feet in pittsburgh new haven connecticut
0: is jumping at this moment. The Yale Bulldogs, for the first time, are national champions.
1: Our
2: first guest today is an executive editor at Sports Illustrated and a correspondent for 60 Minutes, and the author of one of the best pieces of American sports writing this year, an article about me. He's making one of his many, many appearances on the Sportscaster today. Say hello to our good friend, John Wertheim. Hey, John, what's going on?
1: I'm going to apologize in advance for uh, Mariah Carey Christmas music. (laughs) In fact, I'm wearing a mask and any uh, boarding announcements, I... I, uh, I send you greetings from the Wilmington, North Carolina airport.
2: Yeah, Wilmington, North Carolina airport it goes on the list as one of the more random uh, spots of the. Uh... But you're getting used to the, on your end too. I mean, I watch some of the sixty minute pieces, and you'd think something that at that level, oh, you always find a way. But I, I mean, like I was just watching the Get Back piece, and he's in New Zealand, and you're wherever you were, and you're doing it on monitors and things like that. I mean, it's kind of the way of the world in 2021, right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've been traveling a lot for sixty minutes. I could not. Uh, I could not get into New Zealand though. So uh,
2: they wouldn't let you huh? Peter
1: Jackson. <laughs> yeah, Peter Jackson on uh, on monitors. You're right, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, everything's changed in the last few days. But uh, before that, it kind of felt like uh, twenty nineteen.
2: Right, and now it's March of twenty twenty again. This week, it seems like everything's exactly. canceling. Everyone's panicking. You know, I don't know. Although I don't feel. Scared like I did then. I felt scared in March of twenty twenty because I didn't know what was going to happen. But today I don't feel scared. I feel I'm vaccinated. uh, You know I don't know.
1: I was going to say you weren't vaccinated in March
2: of twenty twenty. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I don't feel the panic that they are putting out. You know what I'm really curious about because this is the last interview I'm going to do for twenty twenty one. So my my period of milking the ten years of the sportscasters is officially over. Um, but. I was thinking about sports illustrated and how important it was to this show and the beginning of it and what sports illustrated was like then. And, you know, one of my favorite interviews from the first year was Damon Hack had written this unbelievable gamer for the magazine on a jets and Broncos Monday night game. And it was maybe the first time I had Damon on and got to meet, you know, what a wonderful person he's been the last however many years to me. And, started that relationship. I just just thinking about the magazine and what it was 10 years ago, and what it was 10 years ago is a lot more closer to what it was that I grew up with, but changing. And I wonder from you, who's more fit to answer this than me, what is Sports Illustrated 10 years later in 2021 going into 2022? like? Where, what do you see Sports Illustrated as? You mean... You mean now, or you mean ten years? Yeah, ago? I mean now. Like I, I remember what it was ten years ago, and I was kind of like laying that out a little bit. What I remember it being like, but I know it's changed. And I just wonder, to you, someone who's there day to day, like, because it's kind of back then. I would have said it was a magazine that did other things. Now I don't know. You can call it a magazine anymore. There is one. I don't. I don't know when it comes to my house anymore, or anything like that. But I don't know what. I'm just asking. Like, what do? You, where do you think you're at ten years later? Like, how is it? What, what what specifically is it right now?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of tried to adjust to all of these trends in media. And, you know, pe- people aren't getting their news and entertainment from waiting for a magazine to arrive on the mailbox or a doorstep on Thursdays. Um, so there's still, you know, there's still a print product and it comes out, uh, you know, about 15 times a year. But a lot of the... Attention is shifted to digital. There's a big, uh, you know, there's, there's a big podcast partnership with iHeartRadio that's going to launch in 2022. Um, there's an SI film division. And yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely changed in the last 10 years. I mean, I, I would submit that sort of most, most media properties have. I mean, I still think there's, you know, there's, certainly I have talented colleagues. I think there's still good work. You know, Jenny Brentis is, breaking stories on uh you know on Deshaun Watson and Mike Rosenberg's writing great long pieces and you know we, we just had the sports person of the year where there was a there was a you know an event. There was sort of a, a dinner and uh, a ceremony in Florida and, you know, t- Tom Brady in the middle of the season's getting on a helicopter to be present and Billie Jean King is flying down to make it. And, you know, you have all these athletes and retired athletes and, you know, to me, that was kind of a nice reassurance that there still is uh, heft and they're still relevant. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the, the weekly magazine it was when I started or, to, or even 10 years ago, but, you know, I think like so many other, you know, we're sort of finding our way still, Still have talented colleagues, still doing good work, and I think, um, like any other media outlet, it's kind of trying to figure out where where the audience is and uh, how to sort of uh, how to meet them in a time when we're we're a long way removed from people waiting by the mailbox once a week.
2: Sure, what what's going to change about podcasting in at SI with the new partnership? I I'll admit I didn't know about it until you mentioned it.
1: Um, yeah, I got, I got to kind of make sure I'm not divulging too many. Uh, okay, fair you know, enough. There's, there's a big, big hot. I don't know if it's announced. honestly. I mean, uh, that's the other thing, too. I mean, there's no physical office. and Not, not that I was kind of going in there anyway. Right, but, right. Uh, I mean, it's really weird to sort of have. I mean, Sports Illustrated offices used to be this kind of hub, and you'd go in, you'd never yeah. know who you'd meet. And, you know, Grant Wall and I shared an office, and Pearlman was next door, and there's sort of a lot of energy and creativity kind of bubble there, and there's no physical office so honestly i'm i'm uh we have a s- significant hire i think uh i think i could probably say that um but um that's a that's a 2022 thing um okay we talk about yeah, it yeah i mean time. I, I think uh yeah i was gonna say hit hit me next time and yeah. uh, hopefully we'll it'll it'll be in the news by then
2: okay fair enough uh one thing i will say i absolutely think i learned from firsthand experience and just in general is the just the name sports illustrated still means so much you know what i mean anything that that name is attached to like you said tom brady getting on a plane or a helicopter to get the award i think it's the name sports illustrated it just means something no matter what no matter what the physical form of information sports illustrating is presenting right now doesn't matter the name itself is still very powerful
1: yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right, and I think that, you know, I think that um, that's something in the field you see, you know. You still you get your calls returned in a way you, you wouldn't if you just called a sort of um, – with, with a different outlet. But I, I think, you know, that the challenge is kind of take, take, take a great brand and evolve it, and that's kind of uh, – you know, I mean, honestly, that's kind of the, the, the existential challenge right now.
2: My favorite sportsman of the year conversation on this podcast – was a debate that Deitch and I had about whether Serena Williams should have won or a horse. And then the debate spiraled to, well, if the horse wins, does the horse get to come to the dinner? Does, I don't know. We, we just had a ridiculous conversation about – it must have been American Pharaoh. Was it Pharaoh? Is that the name of the horse? I don't know. must have been
1: – Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, 2015. Yeah and, yeah, yeah, and
2: Serena won, I think, instead. And it was this, the debate the, – the real debate was, you know, well, maybe Serena didn't have the best year in her sport. So should she have won? I think – but then we got into off into the silliness. But it's Brady this year. Fine choice. Uh, nothing wrong with Brady. Wins another Super Bowl. Um, you know, I got to enjoy his game last night quite a bit. Obviously, as a Saints fan, uh, seeing him throw the um, tablet um, was quite invigorating for me. But um, a, a great choice. And you wrote the article this year. What do you think it was about Brady that separated him from, I guess, whoever finished second, you know, quote-unquote.
1: Uh, I mean, some of it, honestly, was kind of two for the price of one, right? So you got the end of the last season, technically 2021, 20, when, uh, you know, they, they don't lose the game and win the Super Bowl, and yep. he sort of makes another statement. And then, of course, you had the first... Yeah, good, I was going to say, good, good thing uh, we should timestamp this. <laughs> you and I are talking on... Uh, Whatever, whatever this is—the Monday before Christmas—and yep. that that Sunday game against the Saints was just brutal. But luckily, uh, he already had the trophy in hand by then. Um, no, right. so you had, you know you had ten games worth of data points. So you kind of got, you know, you kind of got another Super Bowl for Brady. But you also had ten, twelve games of this 2021 season when he's you know in the MVP conversation. And uh, I mean, he he had won before, but it was it was like sixteen years ago. So I think um, certainly they're. Uh, The whole idea that he was playing at this level at 44, which is just a joke, Um, you know, that that probably uh, was a a thumb on the scale as well.
2: So, was it probably after the Eagles Super Bowl or something like that around then that he won it? 16 years ago? Would that be 06? Oh, oh, the first
1: time. Oh, the first time. I thought you meant it. Yeah, yeah. The first time it would have been, um, work with me here. 05? Yeah, what what would have been the. yeah, it would have been. Well, so. Well, I guess the, it would have been the 04 Super Bowl to win in 05. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the 03 season. So the
2: 03 season into 04, they beat Carolina. And then 04 into 05, they beat the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he
1: won in yeah. the. Uh, I mean, he won in, the, he won in December 05. Okay. Like 16 years ago. Right. So, uh, yeah. So what? He would have three. I guess he would have three Super Bowls
2: by right then? Sure. Yep. Three. I've been watching his documentary, which it's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. Um, really the other people shine on it. Like Drew Bledsoe in the, the episode he's in is great. You know, Laura Malloy in the episode he's in is good. Um, but, uh, it's kind of shocking, almost stunning that when you realize the gap in between Super Bowls he had winning them because he went to two, but didn't win them, you know, so he wins the Eagles one, then goes to two more. He doesn't win and then doesn't win again at, you know, until 15 or whatever the year was exactly. Um,
1: yeah, like, I mean, he, yeah right he, he had the helmet catch in there yeah and, uh, and the um and what year was uh the second Eli, the year the, the one in Indianapolis I yeah
2: 11 2011 January,
1: January 2011 yeah, yeah you're right yeah, yeah 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 so it's just
2: kind of shocking you know you think of him as winning all these Super Bowls which he had obviously seven's unbelievable and three losses now but man he just like it's like wow there was a big gap in there where he didn't they didn't win it because you just always feel like they're always in the hunt, you know what I mean? They're always yeah, right in, right, in the big right. games. It just wasn't, you know, going their way in the very, very end. But, um, yeah, it's wild. Tom Brady, definitely. I, I don't know if there was a horse in contention this year, but I'd still probably give it to Brady um, regardless. the My favorite thing you've done recently was the 60-minute piece on the Beatles thing that I mentioned because that Beatles documentary is, like, the best thing I've ever seen. I don't really? know. It's so good. It's so compelling really? to watch. I mean, just to. It shouldn't. I feel like when I watch it, it shouldn't be that interesting because, like, the picture never really changes. It's just four guys sitting around. I like the Beatles, but I'm not, like, a Beatles nut. You know, I'm, I'm a fan. I have their albums, you know, or whatever, but I'm not a huge fan. I'm a fan. I don't know how to put my fandom. I'm a fan of them, you know, but I'm not a mega fan of them. Um, but, man, it's so good. It's so compelling to just sit around with those guys and watch them fuck around and watch them pull hit songs out of thin air and to watch them interact. And, you know, then just one minute, George is like, yeah, I'll see you at the pubs, I'm out. You know, just like, it's just an unbelievable dynamic and maybe the history of it all. And I just, I love watching that thing. You didn't like it as much as I did, I guess?
1: I, I do. I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that, but I feel like they're really two different reactions. Okay. There's very little middle ground, which is either like what you said, and you know, I mean, I honestly, if I didn't, if I didn't think it was worthwhile. I wouldn't done the piece, so I'm, I'm with you. But you know, I think it's this really interesting look at creative process and of dynamics and of uh, you know, sort of the the what does celebrity mean in 1969? Other people are like, oh my god, this is the most boring thing. I love the Beatles, but how am I supposed to sit through this? And what I, what I thought was really interesting was. Peter Jackson had total free reign. They basically were like, you know, you're you're the Lord of the Rings guy. We trust you. Yeah. Knock, knock yourself out. Here here's and, and he basically said, you know what? I don't need to, like, fill this up with talking heads and with writing and with black backdrop interviews and with, you know, voiceover. I'm just going to, like, let this thing play out, and I'm going to edit it really well, and I'm going to do all my – I mean, Peter Jackson does all these kind of high-tech – you know, he improves the audio and the yeah. engineering. But, you know, imagine if you had the Michael Jordan. Imagine if you had the Bull. I kept comparing it to sports. And, you know, imagine you had the last dance videos. Right. And you just said, like, I, I don't need to sit here and, like, you know, w- wheel in whoever. I don't, I don't need David Stern to sit there. I, I just want to run. let this thing run. If you, people like the Chicago Bulls, they're going to really see the behind the scenes. And if they don't, like, too bad for them you know, obviously that's not what they, you know, they get a conventional documentary and you get people to talk and you sit down Steve Kerr and you sit down Scottie Pippen and you sit down the security guard. Uh, Peter Jackson was basically like, I'm getting out of the way. And I'm just going to give you the best eight hours of the 60 I have and let it roll. And some people I think expected a normal, you know, they, they saw Alanis Morrison or they saw the Eagles, They thought it was going to be a conventional music documentary and they were disappointed. And other people were like, Oh my God, this is an amazing glimpse of like, creativity so uh but i'll which long long answer to say i'm I'm happy to uh happy to hear you say that
2: yeah i loved how it was long you know that it was a slow burn i I like i'm glad it didn't rush so he just kind of took his time with it that i like the way he used the calendar you know and and we got to live every day in its own and it's it makes it easy to break it up too you know sometimes when i was watching it i'd look like oh it's two o'clock in the morning and there's still two hours left let me watch two more days and then i'll stop it And it was just so good and so well done and really authentic. And, I mean, there's something amazing about being able to watch Paul McCartney walk in for the day, have absolutely nothing, and then a few minutes later essentially have Get Back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's something unbelievable watching that. And then there's other moments where it's just like they're just fucking around. Like they're just being dudes. They're just playing goofy covers and, you know (laughs) – goofing around and i don't know there's something incredibly intimate about it
1: no i mean n- none of them i don't i don't think any of the four had turned 30 yet so no was, they, they, know, did, they weren't mean, this was, this yeah was, i looked you that know, up mm-hmm. this was their uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah they were
2: 20-ish year old dudes and they acted like it and it was cool to see them that way you know what i mean yeah, it, exactly it, it felt really authentic and i thought peter jackson he deserves all the awards for that thing just because it was incredible and I never felt like I know that the audio isn't always what you're seeing on video, and that could be easily become distracting. But it never was—not for one second. I was never once distracted. Yeah, I, the by other that.
1: thing too is like, uh, could, could you imagine the temptation other directors would have had to like, you know, whatever, whether it's play up George leaving or play up Yoko? I mean, there—he really, I think, was conscientious to uh, you know, again, he. Nobody gave him, I mean, he had full editorial control. I mean, I I think he wanted people to like it, but I don't think, uh, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Paul McCartney had to sign off on anything Peter Jackson did, but I think he was really conscientious and not sensationalized. And uh, no, I mean, I I thought it was really, I mean, you, you couldn't imagine this being made today, but you also couldn't imagine a band existing like this, the biggest band in the world. And there are only like three other people in the sessions. Um, but I thought that, uh, no, I, I I thought it was a real sort of a real window in the way, like, exactly what you said, the creativity and how this stuff gets workshopped and how everybody contributes and collaborates and the Billy Preston stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I thought it was really extraordinary, but I know that a lot of people were like, I, I thought I was gonna get the Eagles documentary uh, I think instead they're I nuts. just got like yeah, TV footage.
2: There's plenty of that on the Beatles already. You know what I mean? I feel like
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, no, good good to hear you say that. The only thing I wanna
2: disagree with you a little bit on from the sixty minutes piece is I think you're talking to uh George Martin's son and you're like, Oh, one thing dispelled is like Yoko broke up the Beatles and I think it I think it changed it a little bit in the sense that it wasn't anything Yoko was doing that broke up the Beatles necessarily. But I do think the idea that, like, oh, we're bringing our wives to work now played a part in breaking up the Beatles. I think George's son said, like, it it wasn't any one thing. I think it has to be one thing of the many to say that, like, the fact that they they lost something. Because I think someone says when their manager died, I think it might be Paul or something, says in at over the course of the documentary, says, like, he would have been the one to say, get the wives out of the studio. Or, but there's no one to do that anymore. Yeah,
1: Brian. Yeah, Epstein, yeah.
2: yeah. Absolutely. I mean, So I think that has to be a part. Like, seeing that and seeing her there, John is never in the frame without her, like, really. Like, that's just not sustainable, I don't think. I don't know. I think eventually uh, that's got to get I, old. I
1: didn't realize. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, there, there was a great New York Times piece. Uh, like a week ago, by Amanda Hess, about how this was her sort of this was almost performance art. I mean, this was kind of uh, power without some sort of Yoko and soft power. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, first of all, I, I didn't realize she she's ten years older than I mean, she she was sort of a different period of her life.
2: Right. She's getting um, a divorce and everything. Like at one point, her divorce goes final.
1: But um, yeah, but but also, I mean, you, she wasn't this intrusive. No, you know, I mean, it's. I, I think I think Paul said it well. He's like, well, Beatles broke up because, you know, Yoko had her hand on an amp. Um, but uh, no, I don't know. I mean, I I thought it was really uh, um, again ha- ha- happy to hear that was your conclusion because I talked to a lot of people who were like, I don't get it. Like, I thought I was going to get a documentary instead. <laughs> I got uh, security oh, footage.
2: I get it. I, I think they're wrong. I think it's amazing. I mean, it's like if someone said to you, hey, you want to hang out. In the room with the Beatles while they write an album for a few days, like who would say no to that? It's unbelievable, exactly. Unbelievable opportunity. Last thing on this, and then one more thing, and I'll let you go because I know you gotta get on a plane. But um, there was a point where I'm losing my thought a little bit. Oh, okay. So John uh, Paul is talking about um about how uh, Yoko, how John and Yoko really just want to be together right now. So she's going to be there, and it's kind of like, all right, no, no big deal. It's kind of like this thing of like, hey, he's either going to be there with Yoko or not there at all. And this happened with Van Halen. Van Halen fans got mad when Wolfie joined the band. But in retrospect, it's like Eddie was only in the room because Wolfie was. So it's like, do you want the last album and the last two tours? Or do you want Michael Anthony still in the band, but no album and no tours? And then with Phil Collins and the Phil Collins run, and then now the Genesis run after – it's like Nick Collins is the drummer. Some people don't like that, but it's either Nick Collins is the drummer or Phil Collins ain't playing. You know, so I think that there are sometimes in rock and roll as fans, we want something. But now I see three incidents of history that show me sometimes you just got to take what you get because it's this or nothing. And these guys are mortal and they're on a clock and the clock's going to run out. And you have to just be willing to appreciate whatever piece of them they're willing to give you. That's, I guess, my last thought on it.
1: Or else you get Sammy Hagar as your lead singer.
2: See, I love Sammy um, Hagar too. I love both versions of the band, but you know, sure. I I love Van. I love watching Eddie play. So I'm glad I got to go in 15 and 11 because sure. otherwise I wouldn't have seen him at all. You know
1: did Did you see the? Um, oh man, I'm blanking on his name. I'm really shanking. Who is the uh, the c- Canadian producer for like Chicago and Celine Dion and Buble? Not- oh, my God. I can't. Sarah, His daughter is Sarah, married Tommy Ha. Huh? Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm shanking on this. I'll find out. What's put the that point? On your list, yeah. He, no, it goes to a lot of the, he's, you know, like the, probably the great producer in L.A. of like the 80s and 90s.
2: David and, Foster? Uh,
1: no, it goes, it goes, yeah, David Foster. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah David Foster. I keep that shanking him. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it did watch that david foster documentary because it goes to a lot of those same points and like you know does does the uh, Ch- chicago break up over their artistic differences or do they stick together and make compromises and uh i mean you, you realize how fragile these bands are it's a lot you know again i mean the it's, it's sports teams analogies are probably inevitable at some level except the difference is here the athletes make all the decisions right you, if Tippin wants to stay, he stays, and if Tippin wants to be a pain in the ass and try a solo career somewhere else, he goes. And uh, it's a really fragile organism. As much as as much as fans would love that, you know, Cold Coldplay never quits. Um, it's really fragile.
2: Yeah, and I, I feel so fortunate, you know, as a fan who the band I be, uh, Mad Dog Chris Russo has the greatest quote. I've been using this all the time. He's like every American boy and girl. It needs to have two things: a ball club and a rock band. And I had the Saints and Pearl Jam, you know. And um, I could have easily had the Saints and Nirvana or the Saints and Soundgarden. And I love those, or else in Chains, whatever. I love all those bands. But my main band is always in Pearl Jam, and they're the one standing. You know, they're the group that is going to be able to celebrate 30 years together and 40 years together. And um, but it wasn't a given. There were so many moments—not to go through a Pearl Jam right. history here—but there was so many of those moments where it could easily went the other way. Uh, anyway, the documentary is called Off the Record, David Foster. It's on Netflix, so I'll check it out. But that's the one if anyone else wants to check it out. All right, last thing. I'll get you h- out of here on this. Um, I talked about SI changing in 10 years, and I remember talking to you for the first time. It was a Tiki Barber story, I think. Uh, was the very first one I reached out to you on for the magazine. And over the years, you you've went from a senior writer to an executive editor to being on 60 Minutes Sports to being on 60 Minutes, all these changes that I've been really proud to be a friend of yours and be a part of it along for the ride, someone you've written about. But I wonder the same thing about SI. I just wonder, like, where's John Wertheim at the end of 2021? Like, what are you – professionally, what are you most happy about? What do you want to do more? What do you want to do less? Like, where are you at as the year ends and as you look forward to, to the next year?
1: Oh man, such a good ask. Me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of juggling these two gigs, and uh, you know, I, I sort of part of me is like something's got to give, and the other part of me is like I've been saying that for five years, and uh, um, you know, I don't have a lot of complaints. I, I love love the sixty minutes. I love the collaboration, and not you know doing stuff more than sports. You know, I have a Story on this Sunday that's from a lab, but whatever. It has nothing to do with sports. And the last story is on some island off the coast of Canada. We talked about the Beatles. So it was nice to kind of be out of sports, but I also I don't want to leave sports entirely and I don't want to leave writing. So I kind of try to balance it all. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy times in media, but it's been crazy times for like 10 years now. So you just kind of try to. You know, just try to uh, f- find your lily pads.
2: What did you think I was going to ask you? You said uh, you, you you were like, I thought you were uh, going to... No,
1: I thought you were going to say, where are you going to be? Into- I, thought I thought you were going to say, where are you going to be? Ten, ten years from
2: oh, now. Oh, jeez, yeah. Uh, I won't make you predict that. I have no idea. Hopefully, but, um, hopefully yeah, we're both I
1: don't No, out. no, I, I... It's exactly... No, it's... <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the dirty secret is like, it's, it's kind of fun to do all these things. And I was just listening to... Uh, I don't know if you listened to the... Um, but, you know, Sl- Slate has that podcast about 1993 and Rodney King, and um, I was listening to Joel Anderson who put that together, and he sort of said, you know, it's I don't I don't have a desire to write a book now, but this podcasting, it's got some writing and it's got some interviewing, but you also have to be a performer, and um, you know, I mean, the me- media does not have a lot of built-in uh, security. I mean, I think sure. when I got in, you sort of said, well, it wasn't going to, you know, no one was going to buy a private plane. It wasn't going to make you rich, but at least, you know, you, you had some stability and that completely went away. But the flip side is that all these platforms and all these kind of, you know, I'm working on a project with Perlman, and um, one of these days, I'll get another book project going again. I mean, just all these different platforms. It's It's kind of fun to jump around and not just be, pigeonholed. But uh yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been busy, but uh no complaints.
2: Seems like the NFL is catching up to sc- scorecasting, score casting, huh? Seems like they have uh some of the dreams of Yeah,
1: except we had a... Uh, did did you see uh you see the Ravens? I game?
2: did. I thought I thought he should have went for one. Only because two doesn't win the game. I'm fine with two when the game was over. But you could lose the game yeah. on a field yeah, goal anyway. Yeah, yeah. So what what are you really gaining by it?
1: So how how much of that, and it's where the stats get a little bit dirty. I mean, how much of that is just the fact that you don't have your starting quarterback and your maybe defense? They, there's a up really some points.
2: There's a really great clip that came out though. Uh, I don't know if you saw it today. I'll send it to you. Where he went up to the quarterback Huntley before and said, "What do you want to do if we score a TD? When we score a TD, he said, not if. He said when." And they they had already decided on two. Right. And then right. and then they said they talked. So I, I you know hey that's what they wanted to do. So I get it. I that's fine. It's not. A, I don't think it's a big deal that he decided it. If if I were in charge, and I never would be, but if I was in charge, I'd only go for two at the end. If I if I know that if I get it, I win. You know what I mean. If there's any but doubt,
1: I, I had uh, I had I had someone say to me, "Well, I, I don't understand if you if teams are you know whatever it is, you know, six, 60% conversion rate going for two, and they're 91% on PATs. You should." You should never kick an extra point.
2: Well, Just except the Saints to are over time. The, the Saints have missed the last the ten. The Saints have missed the last 10 2 point conversions.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So. And I saw who was it? I saw one one kicker missed three. Was it the Jets? One kicker missed three extra points though. So anyway, it's um, no. I mean, I I still I still like this stuff. It is nice to see that more teams are going for it on the fourth down. But Indeed. Uh,
2: the only thing I don't um, like about it is it takes a little bit of the Sean Payton aggression advantage away. You know what I mean? For a while there yeah, get, yeah, yeah. The, uh, right. That the was,
1: element of surprise is gone. Yeah,
2: it's like it's more expected now, but I don't know. Listen, I just appreciate you so much. What's this Pro project? Are you guys? talk... I know he's really secretive, so you're probably not talking about it. But
1: oh man, yeah, yeah I was gonna say I probably shouldn't have let that slip. We're, we're, you know,
2: we're developing well, a new muscle. A project It'll is probably personnel. not a big deal, but that's the last. That's probably the most he would wanna want you to give. Out. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. I'm gonna have to follow up with you after this uh, interview to try to get some of the stuff off the record. <laughs> you could, You're throwing too many. Te- I gotta. I
1: gotta uh, no, you gotta. I gotta. You know, whatever. Nah, um, it's all good. So, always. Always
2: a pleasure. All right, I hope you have wish, a, great you. Yeah, a great holiday. Yeah, great holiday season. A Happy New Year, and I look forward to you talking to you in
1: 2022.
0: You got it. <laughs> I was a little too
2: tall. Could have used a few pounds. High pants, points, hollering
0: out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. Way up
2: firm and high. Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy. Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy. Working on mysteries without any clues. Working on a night moon. All right. I want to thank John Wertheim for being on the podcast tonight. Love having Mr. Wertheim in. Look forward to talking to him in 2022 and finding more about all those mystery projects uh, he was dropping on us without many details. I did not, up to this point, reach out to him. Uh, to ask for more privilege and information off the record just yet, Uh, but I will certainly do that soon. Um, Book Club. So there was one book left, which was supposed to be taken care of tonight. It's called Tinderbox by James Andrew Miller, who's on my naughty list this year. It's HBO's Ruthless Pursuit of the New Frontier. I spent many, many hours reading this book. I regret it. The book is fine. Just the effort it took to put into reading it, um, was worth it to me when it was to do it for an interview with James Andrew Miller for this show. He hadn't been on in a long time. I was excited to have him, and many, many times, I got word from his publicist uh, that he would be on. And many, many times, we scheduled a time for him to be on. And many, many times, right before that scheduled appearance, he bailed. So. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, It's been going on since well before Thanksgiving. Um, He's got a date to come on. He doesn't come on. He's got another date to come on. He doesn't come on. I've been ready, willing, and able to do this interview. I've had it scheduled many times. I've been told it's going to happen. Clearly, it's not going to happen. I haven't heard uh, back from the publicist now in about a week. Um, And my guess is I'll probably never hear from him again. If I do, and they do the interview, I'll take it back, I guess, but, and normally I don't do this, I don't tell such detail, but I really feel burned here, because I put in the time to read this book under the premise that James Andrew Miller would do the interview, and I know he's capable of doing interviews, because he's done hundreds of them, I've heard them, he's done podcasts bigger than mine, he's done podcasts at the same level as mine, podcasts below mine media publications, he's been everywhere promoting this book. But for some reason he couldn't find time for me. Even though he promised he would find time for me. So if James Andrew Miller wants to dispute anything I'd said, I'd be more than glad to hear his retort. But as it stands now, he burned me. And it's no fault of the publicist who I feel like tried hard um, to make this happen. And I every time they reached out, said I'm available every any time to do this you know a couple weeks ago i did an interview with dan shaughnessy i woke up at seven o'clock in the morning on a saturday to do it i've done interviews with jeff Passon at 330 in the morning i'll do anything to get the interview but for whatever reason this didn't happen i doubt it's going to happen if you were waiting for it i apologize you'll have to listen to him on some other podcast that he didn't jerk around i guess so that just is what it is all right uh, last piece of business for the book club this year. It was a great year for the book club. Uh, it was a lot of great books that brought on a lot of new guests, which is the point. Um, really great stuff from really great people. Authors like Dana O'Neill and Rich Podolsky and Dan Shaughnessy and Lee Motville. And, um, oh, geez, who else came on this year from the book club? We almost got Michael Imperioli and Steve Strippa. That didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, but th- we got close on that one. That happens. Um, Brian Rafferty uh, made his first trip in. Best movie ever is his book. We kind of had him in more for the podcast he did on Siskel and Ebert, but we talked about the book as well. Uh, John Wertheim had a book on the book club this year. Glory Days, which was probably my favorite book of the year. If I was still doing, you know, Book Club Book of the Year, that'd be the winner. Uh, you Can't Lose Them All by Cousin Sal. Cousin Sal at his first time in. Nothing but a good time. The 80s rock book with uh, um, Richard Beinstock and his partner. A great book. Al Strachan made his first appearance on the show I'm talking about the hockey hot stove. An awesome interview that I really, really enjoyed. Look, at I love the book club. It's a great way to get people who probably wouldn't come on otherwise. People who write books love to promote them, usually. Um, and I've taken advantage of that for years and years and years. Oh, Joe Piznanski with his Baseball 100s, another one I see across the room uh, that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, I would have never got Frank the Ford or Lee Montville or Dan Shaughnessy. Names like that. Legends uh, without this book club. So I appreciate anyone who takes the time to read with me. I get questions all the time about books. I send books out to people all the time. If for some reason I promised you one and didn't send it to you, I'm so sorry. I'm horrible about that. Just get back to me, and I promise I will send you one. Um, Sometimes you got to smack me around. But next year should be a great year. Uh, Hopefully Jeff Perlman, uh, Howard Bryant, Ian O'Connor. Hopefully some big names put out big books. Um, Hopefully there's ones that aren't on my radar yet that are going to emerge and uh, we have a great year with the book club. So thanks to everyone who read and listened this year. Uh, let's take a break, we'll be right back with Jim
0: Florentine. Even fast food restaurants still leave in one star Yelp reviews, like what do you think's gonna happen when you go in there? Lower your expectations. Like this guy gave a one star for McDonald's, he goes, the guy behind the counter wasn't paying attention or I was giving my order. I go, yeah, he was probably trying to adjust the helmet on his head, that's why, okay? <laughs> Yeah, be lucky to drool in your fries, motherfucker, okay? <laughs> Look, I'm allowed to do that joke. I played a retarded puppet on TV, so I'm grandfathered in. I'm allowed to.
2: Our next guest is a New Jersey native comedy legend, former host. Of that metal show, Howard Stern regular. He's done it all inside the NFL, crank yankers, teasing telemarketers, incredible prank videos, just everything. And he's been on the show many times and he's back again promoting a comedy special available now on his YouTube channel. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jim Florentine. Hey, Jim, what's going on, man? Welcome back.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, man.
2: New special. Was the, was the last special the one you did at Anthony's studio? Or was there one before that?
0: Um, No, the last one was from Anthony's studio. Okay. I like got the house.
2: Okay, yeah. That's what I thought. So this is back in a, in a club and in a stage. Did you... Uh... Were you glad to be back doing it that way? It was it was cool to do it at Anthony's. It was different, had its unique thing. Were you were you were you glad to be back in the in the unique you know in the yeah? Club? It was a regular
0: theater yeah. show. You know, usually the comedy specials are done in the theater. When Anthony's with the last one, I was like, it was almost like I didn't need a big space for it to, to film it. So I was like, you know, we're talking and um, you know, it just went to work and let's just do it here. I'm like, yeah, let's just get this thing out and do it there. So it was more of like a sort of like a more of a, like a one-man show kind of piece, so it didn't need a big theater for it. But, you know, then I went back to it, like the special before was in a theater also for this one. Right, the
2: um, the one before that was the one-man show, right? Before that?
0: No, that no, was a Simple Man. Was, okay, Simple Man was, all right. Yeah, and then the one-man show I did was in a little uh, small space, too. You kind of make the joke in the
2: act about how you love to have the Netflix special, but... if you're a white dude there's a limited amount of uh spots for that but i've noticed in general it seems like the idea of controlling your own content has certainly become more appealing and seems to have grown over the last couple years i mean i know jim brewer just put a special out that's just on his own patreon you put yours on your youtube it seems to be a trend to just control your own stuff right there's plenty of outlets now uh to do it that way
0: yeah i mean look if if it's you know, if Netflix is going to offer if you you get know, that. Yeah. <laughs> me or another comic, you know, half sure. a million dollars to show, of course, we're going to go that way. When the offer is not there, you just do it yourself. Before before you had no choice, you know, you just had to wait around. Right. You know, when I was up coming up coming in comedy, it was either, you know, Comedy Central or HBO. That were the two outlets that did. And if you couldn't get on there, you were screwed. So now you could just do it yourself. And it's like, why not? You know, so uh, you know all the com, you know mark norman, sam morell, uh you know um, a bunch of comics just put them on their free on YouTube, Shane Gillis, and it seems to be working, so you know you wanna yeah, I'm like look this this maybe spots for there's maybe spots for three or four white males on Netflix a year, maybe, so you know that that that's a tough line of the crack, it's more diversity. You know, they book it on diversity instead of just who are the guys are funny. So I'm like, all right, I'm not not getting a Netflix special, but I'll put it out this way. It's fine.
2: It seems like it's not just comedy, but I think the way that the Internet has evolved, um, the streaming services, all the different things that are out there. I mean, you got like rock bands like Dirty Honey. They're like, oh, we're going to just do it our own. You know, you got media people like Pat McAfee or, um, you know, Bill Simmons or a few others. We're just going to do it our own. I mean. Some of that, especially on the media side, it's just huge, huge guys kind of they don't need it. But other people are using their brains and their um, and their I don't know if I want to say innovation, but they're just kind of keeping an open mind and doing taking their own path. And I think it's better for everybody, really. I mean, certainly like in a rock music sense, it certainly worked pretty well, it seems like for Dirty Honey so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at the company I work for, Barstool. They just do it their own way. Yep. They don't give a shit. No. You know, and it's yeah. not, you know, that's, that's the way you got to do it. And you got to, you know, not worry about appealing to everybody. If you try to appeal to everybody, you're just going to be mediocre. And when you're trying to please everybody and not offend or whatever like that, it's like, if you're going to think that way, you're just not, you're never going to stick out. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, who cares what the, you know, you got to push back at some point. And just do it your own way, and it's like so. It's almost better to fly under the radar now, where they're not looking to attack you and and pick apart everything you say or do.
2: Right? Have you noticed your crowds get a little bit younger um, since you've been at Barstool, or or what? You know, I'm sure you know. After the that metal show run, you notice your crowds a lot of rock fans. You know, um, each thing you do, you notice probably changes the crowd a little bit. How is Barstool changed? Yeah, you about? get a
0: I get a weird mixture. I get metalheads. Yeah, metalheads. I get people that like, you know, crank anchors <laughs> yep. from back in the day. Then you get the Howard Stern people Stern, that were yeah. big Stern fans. You get Opie and Anthony fans. And then you start and then you start getting the Barstool fans too. So it's a weird mix.
2: About two years ago I took the plunge with uh Howard Stern that I took with wrestling, and I only listened to old shit. And uh Man, you had some great, great appearances. I send them to you once in a while. Like, you got to re listen to this. Some really great appearances on that show. I mean, too good. Too good.
1: That there, was amazing,
0: the show. The, there was a, you know, just a, <laughs> I, what's was,
2: that? I was going to say, there was a prank call that you did with your character from Crank Anchors to Gary the Retired. Yeah. It, it's It might be one of the funniest prank calls in the history of that show. And there's a lot of great ones on there. It's so funny. I was yeah, laughing I so hard doing...
0: at that. Oh, I was laughing so hard at that. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, no, it was a fun time, man. And that. Uh, yeah, it was just you know the exposure you got on that show was amazing.
2: Would you have ever believed if I told you that the show would be what it is today? Then, like, did you did you see that coming at all? Like,
0: um, I don't know. You know, I haven't heard the show in a long time, so I don't have serious anymore. Yeah. You're not missing much but I hear it's completely changed yeah so I don't know you know um it's not even on my radar because it, I used to have it in an old car but I don't know you know I mean people people could change over time who knows yeah you know as you get older some people just get into different things so you know like when you get to the point where you did everything to shock everybody like what else are you gonna do? It was almost sure. like with Marilyn Manson, right. you know, you know, he would always shocking. He got to a point in his career, it's like I can't shock anymore. Nobody's shocked by anything anymore, you know. So he trying to kind of calm that down because he knew there was nowhere else to go. And if you were an innovator like Stern was, and like you know Manson, even though those guys before it that did shocking stuff, there's only you know there's only you can only go so far. People are like, come on, stop. I mean, look at Ozzy. Ozzy Osborne was a, When I was a kid, my parents didn't even want the album in the house. Ozzy Osbourne's the devil, you know, he's pissing on the Alamo, he's biting Dove's heads off, biting bats. Like, he was the devil, you know? And it's like, now he's like a household name. He's doing, you know, commercials and shit. So he knew at some point, all right, I can't fucking walk around like this forever. Like, I'm the Prince of Darkness.
2: It was like, see, but the thing is, if you go to the show, he still plays the old songs. You know what I mean? I guess. Right uh whereas with stern it's like i will listen to an old episode and okay there might be a 45 minute bit it's so wrong where you know dads are taking their daughter's shirts off and i understand why you wouldn't want to do that anymore but there was also something really authentic about the show something gen- genuine the way you know the show would start on a monday and the first hour would just be them just bullshitting about what they did all weekend and the last hour during the news or just be like a com- comedian like you hanging out in there and you guys just reacting and bullshitting and having fun. I don't know that that was shock jock radio, but there was something real authentic to it, and that's all gone. Like, the show is super overproduced now. Like, you know, it's super produced. Every segment is, like, every word feels really planned out. Um, it's completely based around the interviews, um, you know, and, and the interviews... You know, I listen to the old ones, and again, I don't expect them to be the same, but I don't know. Look at, I I have no problem listening to the old shows, I love them. There's plenty there to feed my appetite for it. I mean, he did 30 years of incredible shows, so it's no big deal either way, I guess.
0: Well, I just remember I know those old interviews, like, I remember Julia Roberts came in. Because uh, she Robin, Robin donated, donated to a charity or something, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. he was like asking her, like, "Do you shave? Do you have a landing <laughs> yeah. strip down there?" It's like it was so insane. Uh-huh. Like a, the biggest actress in the world, you know what I mean? Like, what do you got down there? Oh my god! If I could just smell you, I would sit on. I want to sit on that, smell that seat when you get up. Like it was like it's I was like, "Holy shit!" Uh-huh. So great. And he was
2: relentless too. He would go for a half an hour just over, oh, and yeah. over and over again. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I listened. There was an interview I listened to. He had the, he had Easy E and the police chief from Compton or from LA or some jurisdiction in Southern California. He had them out at the same time, and you could tell he he fixed it that way. But he's trying to pretend like it's this happy accident that they'd both be there at the same time. It's just, it's unbelievable the things he said and got away with for all this time. And anytime they try to dig it up on him, it doesn't stick. It, he's he's Teflon like that. You know, even they they dig up the video of him in blackface from the Channel 9 show, nothing. You know, it just doesn't gain any traction for whatever reason. You can't get him. So I give him credit for that. <clears throat> it's
0: pretty incredible. Well, that's good that they can't because yeah. it's, you know, it's a joke that they're, you know.
2: Yeah, it's ridiculous.
0: It seems like it's starting to swing a little the other way, you know, with Louis C.K. now up for a Grammy you know, uh, nominated for a Grammy for his album or something, or his comedy special, and, you know, Chappelle too, and then also Manson, Marilyn Manson was up for a Grammy. Then they wound up taking it that, like, away. I guess uh, some other shit came out, like they raided his home or something like that. But the, just that they were doing that, Crystal Lee is doing that uh, the Netflix um, festival, the comedy festival in LA, like, next year and stuff. So, that's good, you know, it's like people, it's, you know, like, all right, what are we going to do? How long are we going to punish these people for?
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because back when Stern was under the microscope, under the gun, it was the right wing, the religious groups, the parents' groups, things like that. Now, when people are under the gun, it's the left wing. It's a really interesting shift that way.
0: Who would have thought the conservatives would be the cool ones? Right?
2: Yeah, it's such an interesting shift.
0: You never would think that, because I was no. always go up there. They were always religious. Yep. They were always trying to get... Howard Stern off the air. They were always uh, offended by everything. Oh, you know, there's a lot of conservative people here. They're religious. You know, be careful with your stand-up comedy act in this town. I'm like, you know, and it was always the liberals. Like, ah, yeah, all right, we yeah, we don't care. We're not uptight about that. But it's completely changed.
2: Yeah, it's 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 wild. I I don't even totally understand it, but it goes to show My but, thing
0: is like when other comics like are going after other comics and trying to get, you know. That's awful. Yeah. You know, bring them down and yep. stuff is it's embarrassing. It's yeah. like, come on, man, everybody's gunning for us anyway in this business. It's tough enough and then you're going to bring down one of your own. We should all stick together. Like if some guy rapes somebody, obviously, obviously go after him and bury him, you know, a comic, but you know when you cuz someone said some words now you are trying to you know and that's going to happen to them and then when it happens to them they're like wait a minute what how, well, I can't believe just cuz I said this I'm off this TV show like yeah you started this shit yep you and, started it
2: and the woke come after the woke eventually you know what i mean they People like yeah. that are never satisfied. So if they, if it, if it comes down, to the guy it, that next they came to him. After him. But yep. Yeah,
0: but I had, did the Hollywood playbook. Yep. I said everything right. I, yep. I said I didn't like Trump, and he doesn't was, matter. You know, he's a Nazi. So why, why are you coming <laughs> after me?
2: Yep, doesn't matter. If you're next, you're next. I know. Yeah, if you're next, you're yeah. next. You mentioned Louis, and it made me think of the incredible performance that you had on his show. I mean, just one of the best things you've done. I mean, I mentioned some of the great Stern appearances. That was awesome, that Louie that episode. And it's too bad because of everything. You can't find those episodes anymore. That show doesn't stream anywhere or whatever. So I'm keeping all my DVDs. Everything I have, I'm keeping because stuff disappears on those services. But
0: Well, I know they brought, you know, yeah, that was the last episode he did ever on the FX show, as I did with him. But I know that they brought that Lucky Louie show on HBO that he did. yeah. With Jim Norton. They, that That's on Amazon Prime. Oh, wow. Because I watched it It's a it funny on show. That's
2: yeah. A, yeah, underrated show.
0: <clears throat> so maybe there is, and you know, just that he's up for a Grammy now, so maybe they'll start putting that stuff back on the streaming services, which I would love for more, more people to see that Louie episode. Oh,
2: it's so good. So good in that I good that show. Yeah, you were so good in that. So good. So funny and well done. That was, I think that last yeah. year, there were some really good ones. I think Michael Rappaport had a really good appearance on the show. I think it was right yeah. around the same time. Yeah. It's like a really good run of of um, episodes. It's too bad that I said because that show is a lot like um, Curb, where it would just kind of come and go and be there when it was there. But then obviously everything happened with Louis. But let's shift gears a little bit. I got to ask you some sports questions before we end up out of time because I'm interested to know what changed with the Dolphins. One in seven, I think they were a huge run all of a sudden. Is it just the new administra- the new coaching staff kind of getting their feet wet, adjusting? Is it the development of TUA? What has changed for them? How have they kind of – is it just the schedule, easy teams? I don't know. You tell me. You watch the games. What? What's they're changed? Not,
0: well, look, they're not a new coaching staff. They've been there for three years now. They always come off – they always start off slow, okay. which is a major problem, and then they come on strong, which isn't good, so you can't excuse it every year. Like if they go – you know, if they go uh, – You know, ten and seven this year, and don't make the playoffs. You can't go. Well, that was still good. They won ten games. Okay, but why did they start one and seven? Right. You know, the year before they started like one and four or one and five, and then they went ten and six last year, and the year before that they started like zero and nine and went five and eleven. So it is something going on where they can, you know, now they're on a little roll and stuff. They haven't been playing easier teams, but they did play some hard teams earlier. But they lost some games that they shouldn't have. But I just think it's all in the coaching. That it's like, why are we starting it's shitty every year and then finishing strong? There's something going on there. So, I can't explain it, but it's just not good because they, they finish enough, strong enough where they go, well, you know, they finished strong, so let's play off of that for next season. Meanwhile, the, there's no momentum going into the next season because you won the last seven games in a row.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I know Tua was injured early. seems like he's gotten healthy, but... The Dolphins were always that team that everyone was rumoring with Watson. If that could clear up, you know, maybe they'd be the team. that made you believe they really weren't in with Tua. Where do you stand on him? Is he still? I know you're excited. I want to get no him. part of Deshaun
0: Watson. He's overrated. The guy went four and twelve last year with the Texans. Right. You know, uh, he's a drama queen. Yep. You know he had no. He was praising the Texans or his organization before when he got that four-year, 160 million dollar contract before the year started. Then he went four and twelve, and then he said, "I don't want to be with this organization and on what they're doing." So you took the money, and then you went four and twelve. Which I don't care if you're a great quarterback, like everyone says he is, a top three, get the fuck out of here with that. But if you if if he is, he's going to win more than four games. Marino had some of the worst teams ever, and the worst. Season he ever had was a six and ten season. He went eight and eight like five years in a row with yep. no defense, Brees had no running game like
2: that too. Breeze had Brees had the worst statistical defense of all time, and they went seven and nine.
0: Right, exactly. Yep. So yep. you know, the Deshaun Watson, when he was with the Texans the last year, playing from behind, they're down twenty one nothing. Of course, they're gonna he's gonna complete pass and have a good passing rating and touchdowns and yardage because he's always playing from behind, and so. I want nothing to do with the guy. The guy's drama. He's, you know, um, I don't think he's that great to give three number one picks. No, nah. you know, and then and then put on forty million on your on your on your salary cap too. Right, you know when when two is you know in his third year or second year, so he's making like eight million. So I want nothing to do with Sean Watson. Plus he's a creep. I mean, you know, you, that's just. I got no problem with massage parlors, but wanted to just go to the local Chinese one where no one knows who he is instead of picking off these Instagram models and flying them in. All these hot chicks that say they're masseuses and, you know, that, yeah, they're not going to talk. Yeah, sure. They're not going to go to the press.
2: <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Once you add up yeah, you to didn't 26 see that of them, yeah. <laughs> it's not like yeah. one or two. He took 26 chances. Eventually, one or two of them is going to talk. Right.
0: And, right. and then, you know, look, man, you know, yeah, and, and if some regular girl's giving you a massage and it's not one of those happy ending places, you can't just you know rub your dick on them and do all that stuff and put your hand, take their hand and put it on. You just can't do that stuff.
2: So what about Tua though? Is is he the, Do you feel confident with him?
0: I like what he's doing. You know, look, I said I give him to the end of the year. You know, it's funny because no one's mentioned Trevor Lawrence is a bust. Yeah, he's having a terrible season. Yep, and, and nobody's all over him. Tua, Tua just Tua has played like 19 games so far in his career. And they were judging him after like 12 games. Well, Trevor Lawrence is on game 13, and his, his stats stink. So we're going to get rid of Sean Watson going to go to Jacksonville now. It's like, so there's been a bullseye on Tua since day one. Um, he's been playing great lately. I said, I'll wait to the end of the season to evaluate him. Right now, I like him. You know, you build a team. He has no offensive line. That's why everyone's complaining, oh, he throws two-yard passes. He has no time to throw. He'll get killed back there if he drops back and tries to go deep. They got friggin', you know, the worst offensive line in football. So, um, I like him. We'll see at the end of the year. He's got a few more games, but I, I, I want to keep him. He's a good guy. He doesn't get in trouble. And we'll see. Look, we were stuck with Tannehill for eight years. He was just, you know, pretty good, but not great. Right. And you kept him, and now you want to dump two after, like, a year and a half. It's like, come on, ready.
2: Yeah, it's – I mean, look at Peyton Manning after the first year. I mean, what – who,
0: what? Look at Josh Allen. When I saw yeah. Josh Allen playing with yep. the Bills the first year, I'm like, "All right, great." The Bills don't have a quarterback. They're they going to have to draft another one. He yep. couldn't complete a pass. He was way off. The guy's a superstar now.
2: Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, why? If you were to judge Josh Allen after oh, after his first year, you would have got rid of him. If that's what they're doing with you. Yeah. like, oh, Deshaun Watson's out there, let's get rid of him. Josh Allen would be a superstar, you know, with the Texans right now. So.
2: Yep. No, you're right, and it. I I don't I was just gonna say, like, who is the quarterback or quarterbacks, maybe Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck or something, that changed this perception that these guys are just gonna come into the NFL and be superstars right away. I mean, okay, Mahomes had a great first year, but he also had that first year of sitting, you know, so it's not a true first year. You know, so I don't know. There's an impatience to all of this. And they're just starting to build the weapons around him. You know, it seems. I like, know. Yeah, it seems like he's getting a a rapport with uh, the tight end Gazicki and it's and Waddle's first year there, right? I mean, just starting to develop chemistry Dude, with they weapons. Devontae
0: Parker, yeah, the three top wide receivers guys. besides Waddle have been yeah. out pretty much the whole year. Always hurt. He's throwing the, the you know three and four string receivers, fourth string, fifth string guys off the practice squad every week. They got no running game. They got a shitty running game. They got no offensive line. So, you know, you know, Justin Herbert could throw the ball 70 yards in the air. Okay, okay, he went 5-11 and 11 last year, and he just lost again last night, 8-6. and six. You know, misses a guy at the goal line, friggin' throws it high. The guy's wide open. You know, if Tua would have done that, that video would have been all over Twitter going, oh, my God, this guy stinks. You know, so I like who we got. We'll see what happens.
2: It's that, that Jacksonville game is going to be the one. If you can fill one short, you know what I mean? You're going to look... That was brutal. Yeah. I Brutal. Yeah. I mean,
0: just that, you know... Yeah, they all play at the goal line when, you know, and they throw 10 yards over the middle and call timeout, and kick the field goal. Like, you know, you never saw that defense before... The offense that maybe they'll throw a short one and call a quick timeout. Yeah. That's all in the coaching, too. Mm. Look, sometimes when you get those coaches, they're from the Belichick. You know, he's one of the Belichick guys. They always, you know, think they're better than they are. They usually fail in the league. You know, I'm not totally sold on Flores yet. I'm not crazy about him, but we'll see. Got to give him one more year. But, you know, they always act like Belichick. It's like he can't. You know, they act like dicks. They don't talk to the press. They try to hide everything. It's like you got to win some shit first before you can pull that crap off.
2: And it's going to be a crazy end of the season, too, because they the league has backed themselves into a corner with the constant testing of healthy people. And now you have a variant that seems to be prevalent and healthy people a lot. I mean, look at all the guys that have been on the list the last two days and big names, and it's just going to keep going and going. I know they changed the rules yesterday that supposedly make it easier for asymptomatic players to get back on the field. You don't necessarily have to miss a game like you did before. Um, But, I mean, who knows who's going to be available every week?
0: Look, they backed themselves in a the corner because they bought the whole – hook line and sinker that the vaccines work and if you get a vaccine yep. you're never going to get coronavirus so if you get vaccinated you're never going to get it and then the guys that are unvaccinated they're going to get it and they're going to have to sit out well guys who got three shots you know and, and the booster you know got three shots are still getting it so if they bought in that and that's how they and that's how they figured they were going to do this okay to test it and now it's coming to a head like wait a minute and meanwhile, yeah, this new variant, you know, these uh, Baker Mayfields, like, I'm perfectly fine. Yep. I got three shots of me. Why am I sitting for this game? I have no symptoms whatsoever. Not
2: even a stiffle
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Cam and D- all these guys, you had to keep popping up, and they they already got three, two or three vaccines. And they're like, what? So I tested positive. I got no symptoms, and I got to sit out?
2: It's brutal. Cam Jordan of the Saints, he has played played in every single game in his career from 2011 until last week when he had to sit out because of asymptomatic COVID.
0: Asymptomatic, yeah, yep. which they also say you can't spread it. If you got vaccines and you're positive, you can't spread it. Well, then, then why are they sitting out if that's what you're saying because that's what they're telling you? And
2: they don't have any proof of spread on the field. I don't think they've identified a case where they're like, oh, he got that at the 30-yard line. You know what no, I mean? I it doesn't seem to be. You know, um, and then it becomes controversial if you say, well, like asymptomatic players or COVID positive players with no symptoms should be playing. You know, then you're looked at as some kind of way. But I don't know what they're going to do because as this and and what they're going to, they've already changed the protocols once and we'll see what kind of effect that has. It's really complicated. So I don't, I mean, I'm not going to try to pretend I understand it. There's like these thresholds now that if you reach that, it doesn't count. Not all positive tests are going to, be treated equal anymore we'll see how it plays out but
0: right because they realize look not not one professional athlete even landed in a hospital over this
2: right and they're talking about
0: elite athletes that recover quick that you know that nothing's going to happen to them it's like what are we doing why you you know 17 guys are sitting because it was a positive test and they have no symptoms what whatsoever and you they, know, you, if 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 five NFL players died this year from this, then you go, all right, listen, you gotta stop. Sure. We gotta put a pause on the season. But Even none of that, maybe, but none not. of them landed in the hospital.
2: <laughs> yeah. And this might be crazy talk, but they should really think about getting that Super Bowl out of California before it's too late.
0: Um Do you, you No, know, tr- what well, they'll they'll play and then they won't have any audience. They right. won't have a crowd. They have another they'll let the Super Bowl, Bowl like an ten thousand people or something. come in. Oh man. Brutal. Brutal. They, they, you know, it'll be fifty percent capacity yeah. or something like that. So
2: I just don't trust California politicians, you know, because who knows what it's going to be like in February, or maybe the you know winter wave is over because this does seem to be seasonal. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, they say by like you know the second or third week in January is going to peak, and then it's gonna, it's going to be on its downside. Mm-hmm. It's a, in South Africa, it's already after two weeks; it's already slowing down. The numbers are way down.
2: Right. Well, it does. If it's it, you would expect it to to die a little quicker if it spreads so much quicker because you run out of hosts quicker um, yeah so that yeah there makes sense there i guess but who knows uh the sportscasters are here with jim florentine uh, finishing up with him he's got a new special out which you can find on youtube bite the bullet it's called um you just go to his uh youtube page uh just search jim florentine Easy to find out.
0: YouTube.com yeah. slash Jim Florentine Comedy. Okay. Is where you can find it. Bite the Bullet is a special. Bite the and Bullet is a special. You can go watch it and whatever.
2: All right. Um, I'm a big, big Braves guy, and I heard you talking on that St. Louis podcast. The, the Giants, just wanted to mention this, the Giants reminded me of the Braves from '93, where you get in that battle like they had with the Dodgers and the Braves and Giants had 93. And it goes all the way to the last day, and you battle so hard to win that division that the playoff comes and the team on the other side of you didn't have that. They're fresher, you know, and they're just better off for it. And I know you think that the Giants probably would have beat the Braves, and maybe they would have, but I still think the Braves would have had the same edge that they had on the Dodgers and that being... Not having gone through that with the Giants and Dodgers went through this season, you know what I mean. It reminded it me a lot of '93, just the way they went at each other every day. But it had to be a lot of fun. That season came out of nowhere for you as a Giants fan, right? We're expecting that. I, re-
0: you know, I remember that '93 season well. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Barry Bonds they signed, and I think it was his first year with yep. the Giants. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, um, and then you know, Dusty Baker, the guy who could not win a big game to save his life. He lost He's the, morning the Schottenheimer.
2: Lost to the Rockies. He's the, the Marty
0: Schottenheimer game. of baseball managers. Forgetting Schottenheimer can never. Yeah. Twelve and four every year, thirteen and three, and then losing the playoffs. The guy can't manage a big game. He puts a friggin' a rookie out there, Solomon Torres, to start the last game of the season in '93. Right. Why the Rockies the guys, the veterans? Guy gets rocked, and he keeps them in there for like three innings. They're down eight nothing already. So, um, but yeah, this season, you know they. From like July thirtieth all the way to, till October first, the the Dodgers were like a game out.
2: Yep, playoffs every it was day,
0: unbelievable for yep. friggin' two straight months. They took over to first place for one day in September, and then yeah, I think the Giants one hundred and seven wins. They just kind of they blew their load, yep. and, and then they had to play the Dodgers, and the Dodgers always play them tough, and it was a five game series, and that was it was frustrating, man. It was it was a great season. I, really, I think they could have beat the Braves. They just they don't match up well against the Dodgers. Dodgers, you, know, you know, sign anybody. They're the modern-day Yankees, right. whoever they need. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get this pitcher. We'll get this guy. Oh, Max Scherzer. Scherzer. Got no him. problem. <laughs> Everybody, yeah. yeah. Just load up every year. Um, but that was a great season. I, they did come out of nowhere. I wasn't a Gabe Kapler fan at all. They hated him in Philadelphia. They basically, you know. I have Phillies fans like he's the worst, you know, takes pitchers out after three innings, does all the friggin', you know, but it worked for him this year. You know, he five, six innings, put the bullpen in, and pinch hitting in the fourth inning with lefties and righties. And the team, you know, they're a bunch of scrappy players and no big superstars where they were crying that they got taken out and it worked. So I don't know if it's going to work next year. We'll see. They lost a few guys already. Buster Posey retired. So we'll see. But it was fun to watch this year.
2: Yeah, I remember in '93 the Braves then lost to that not that great Phillies team. You know, with um, with Curt Schilling, and yeah, 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 and Kruck, and uh, they had uh, that terrible closer, Wild Thing closer, yeah, um, Mitch, Mitch Williams, Darren Dalton, yeah, and the Braves just were out of gas. They just couldn't get by them, and then you know, then the Blue Jays and Gary Carter happened in the World Series, but. I just saw a lot of parallels this year between the Giants' season this year and the Braves' season in 93. and the Braves Yeah, no, were you're right ben- about that. Yeah, and the Braves were the beneficiaries this year, obviously. Uh, getting the worn-out Dodgers and getting by them because they couldn't get by them last year despite being up 3-1. And uh, got it done this year and um, cashed it in against Dusty Baker in the World Series with, again, some shake, shaky
0: decisions. Of course. You sort <laughs> of questionable moves he made yeah. once again. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. All right, Jim. Uh, again, the the... Oh, I wanted to mention too. Uh, Jim did a cameo. A friend of mine reached out to Jim, and he did a cameo for me. Hilarious, super fun, and I was really, I was really excited that Jim remembered me. I was going to be embarrassed. It's going to be like, uh, you know, hey, I, I talked to that guy. And then, hey, do you know that guy? No, who, what? what? But uh, you did remember me and busted on me. I, yeah, I tell you what, though, I wish I could have James Winston back. I'd take him in a <laughs> take him in a second because um, he he's not great, but he's better than. He's better than uh, what's left without him. You know what I, I mean?
0: Wait, are you are you, uh, are you a Saints fan? Yeah,
2: I've been my whole life. I've been a Saints fan, yeah.
0: Okay, because I'm going yeah. to the Monday night game against oh, the Dolphins and
2: two Awesome. Weeks. That's awesome. It's in the Dome or is it in Miami?
0: No, it's in the Dome. It's I've never been dome. to oh, the you're have a great dome. Time. before. Yeah,
2: you're going to have a great time. They did a lot of work on the Dome, too, over the pandemics. It's like... All renovated. It's awesome. You have a great time there. It's really fun. It's really... They're really hospitable to road fans because they get them every week, you know, with it being a destination city, every game. Right. Throw, you know, so it's not a contentious place where you're going to worry about a fight. Like, everyone's really cool there. You'll have a great time. It'll be a really good time. All good, because my yeah. kid...
0: Is gonna win, you know, wear a dolphin jersey. Oh yeah, he'll be him. fine. No, like, oh, you guys I have know, a great I'm time. i probably gonna fight, but no, no, it's so, so they'll be nice, which is no, good. Yeah, I mean, the, the Saints and Dolphins have no rivalry, so you know, it's like they're not gonna be like being dicks because they're not in the same division or even the conference.
2: Yeah, I live in Buffalo, and um, like a cap. The city went down there for Thanksgiving. because Bills and Saints played over Thanksgiving. Everyone who came back saying the same thing. Yeah, you know, what a great time I okay, had. You know how great? Like, the, it's like well, my one buddy is like, yeah, you know, on Monday or Sunday, the game was on Thursday. So like on Sunday, we're in the French Quarter, and the one bartender said, you know, you kicked our ass like four days ago, and you're still here. Isn't it time to go home already? He's like, yeah, you know, yeah. she's just fucking around. But other than that, but I, I bring up the cameo just to mention that you might want to mention you're there because it seems like that's a good place to, to reach you, get a video, be a good holiday gift if you're interested. If you want to mention your cameo, the podcast is on two days a week. Um, you find that where you find, find podcasts. What else, Jim? Yeah. You're all over the place. What else? That's about, it. That's it. I got everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right, thanks for doing this. I always appreciate you.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.
2: I want to thank Jim Florentine and, of course, John Wertheim for being on the podcast tonight. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of The Sportscasters all 10 years on our SoundCloud page. That's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can email me, Sportscasters at gmail.com. I'm available on Twitter at sports underscore casters. And, of course, if you feel the need to leave a five-star review, I should ask for these more. But I feel icky doing it. Uh, but apparently it matters. Review the show on on Apple or Stitcher. Want to thank everyone who sent me their wraparound from Stitcher. Um, showing the sportscasters in their top five this year. Amazing to see that. I really appreciate it. Don't forget about my other show, the 24-inch podcast. I do it with my daughter Paula and wild man Hollywood Dave Rollins. You can find that at the number two, the number four inch podcast on Twitter. Join our Facebook group, though. Search 24-inch podcast and then click on groups and you'll see it and you can join. It's a great group. Lots of cool interaction there. Uh, and also we'll have a new episode to end that season out tomorrow or today. Almost as soon as this one comes out. And it's on the no Hold bars, no, no Holds Barred Match in a Movie from December of 1989. And... I love that show. I can't wait. We're going to be at Wrestling 80s Wrestling Con May 7th in New Jersey. Um, if you're from that area, plan on seeing us there. That'd be awesome. Don't forget about my good friend Peter Winson. His show is Greetings from Allentown. Uh, his Twitter is at Jeff Allentown Pod. He's been laying back a little bit on the flagship show, but him and Keith seem to always be doing uh, Greetings from Allentown live. Uh, a couple more shout outs Place to Be Nation. Uh, The Jenny Position, the North-South Connection, uh, subscribe to those feeds. Really great stuff. Place to Be Nation has a wrestling and a pop feed. Uh, The North-South Connection is Justin Rosero's own feed, and uh, Jenny, she's the Jenny Position. Join those feeds. Good shows, good people, friends of mine, friends of this show, really nice people. Hook them up. Um, We just had a really nice Secret Santa that I do. Everyone seemed really happy with it. Shout out to them. Adrian Dater, follow his work, Colorado Hockey Now. Another good friend of mine. Please check him out. Um, and really, you know, support podcasts by independent podcasters. I mean, we hear this stuff all the time, like eat local and dine local and all these things, right? Like Joe Rogan, good show, you know, but he does maybe, you know, spend some time listening to some more independent type stuff. Although, you know what? I'm guilty. I listen to Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan and Bill Simmons and big guys all the time. So what am I talking about? All right. Let's talk about something I know. One last thing for me this season, uh, and that's that season 10 has been, well, season 11, my 10th year, has been a season I'm very proud of. Uh, It started on January 20th. Jeff Passan gave me some time to be on the first episode of this season, just like he was on the very first episode of the podcast way back in 2011. Greg Wyshynski, who was on the second podcast, was also on. And my former partner, uh, Don Russ, was on to reflect on some memories from when he did the show with me, which was awesome. Love, Don. Shout out to him. Um, And that got things going. And it was that episode that John Wertheim listened to that gave him the idea to write the article that ended up in Sports Illustrated, an amazing Amazing accomplishment for me and the podcast. It was Kyle Brandt from the NFL Network who said, it's a legacy piece. It is for my legacy. It's immortal. It's something that Paula will be able to show to her children and on and on and on about whatever my relationship is to them. I'm grateful for its existence. Um, Sean McDonough joined us in January. Brian Curtis, my worst interview of the year, to be honest. I stunk it up. I wasn't me. I wasn't honest. I didn't say what I wanted to say. Bad job by me. Hopefully we get Brian on again in 2022 and I do a better job on that. Richard Deitch joined us in February. Damon Hack as well. Love having Damon on. Cousin Sal made his debut in February. Uh, Michael McCarthy from Front Office Sports, I think is the name of that website. Uh, Love having him on. A good sports media guest. I kind of went back to the roots of doing more sports media this time, and it paid off. Joe Buck started out March. Al Strachan, who I loved, Wayne Gretzky's main man, who apparently told him that he was the Wayne Gretzky of hockey writers. Uh, Andrew Marshawn made his first appearance at the end of March, along with Mike Triplett, talking Saints football. I believe that was about the official retirement of Drew Brees. Keith Law came on to promote his book, Devin Gordon, his book, a baseball doubleheader that week. Uh, Two really good interviews. Enjoyed Devin. Enjoyed his book, even not being a Mets fan. Uh, Neil Best ended April with Tom Bajor and Richard Beinstock, the guys who wrote the 80s metal book. Love those guys. Love Neil Best, by the way. A really nice gentleman. A really great, great guy to meet. Lover of Cornell hockey. Uh, Only had one episode in May, May 27th. Pete Weber and Mike Schoep, Buffalo guys, Both, well, Pete Weber spent some time here, Notre Dame grad. He calls hockey games for Nashville. Uh, But strong Buffalo roots. And Mike Shope, who's done Sports Talk Radio in Buffalo for years, joined me. Love having him on. June 10th, John Champion, who said that Italy was a dark horse to win the Euros, made his debut. One of my rock and roll heroes, Paige Hamilton, was also on that show. An unbelievable moment for me. Uh, John Wertheim. Was back in June talking about his book Glory Days, of course. And Brett Martin, who once wrote a book called Difficult Men, he writes a lot of stuff in GQ. Finally agreed to come back. I love having I love Brett love having him on. Uh, Jimmy Trina made his only appearance of the season in July. Uh, Pete Carrado was in to talk about his basketball business book. Kenny Albert joined us in July um, to talk about calling the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, That was the show Brian Rafferty was on to talk about the Siskel and Ebert podcast. Started off August with a legend. Lee Montville was on. Aaron Schatz came in for his annual appearance on the show to talk about the Pro Football Almanac. Stuart Mandela and Michael Fabiano. This was the football preview section. I thought we did really good work previewing the football season um, in July and August. Uh, Got some really good different kind of interviews. Jeff Passon joined us uh, to talk baseball. Nicole Auerbach talked college football. Vic Carucci on the NFL. Andrew Marshawn on NFL Media. Really, really some good stuff, I thought. Uh, Nick Underhill, September 12th, talked Saints football. And then I did a clip mix of Marshawn, Auerbach, and Carucci to kind of update some of the good stuff we did football-wise. Don't do a lot of clip stuff, but did it there. I think it worked well, too. Joe Pisnansky returned at the end of September. Uh, Tim Neverett debuted both with Baseball Books. Great show there. Uh, Sean McDonough made time to do it. It was special to me he did. Talk about becoming play by play one for the NHL in America on ESPN. Uh, my friend Rob Mish joined us to talk a little bit about soccer and sports gambling. Enjoyed that. Katie Baker returned. Yale grad, love having. Katie on, Jeff Agrist um, from the Chicago Sun-Times debuted. Great debut there. Jonathan Vilma, the first member of the Super Bowl 44 champions, uh, was on. Rich Podolsky debuted to talk about his wonderful book about the uh, NFL today. Uh, Greg Wasinski joined us. Andrew Marchand back. Andrew Marchand won the most appearances uh, this season. Love having Andrew on. Uh, Dave Shaughnessy and Dana O'Neill last week, a podcast that's been really well received. And then of course the final two guests this year, John Wortheim'm back and the last interview of the year, the great Jim Florentine. I want to thank everybody for a great season. It was an unprecedented season in terms of growth. Um, the 24 inch podcast really took its own. And I think that the 24 inch podcast, I started it to build audience for the sportscasters Uh, My theory has always been that the best way to get people to listen to your show is to be on other shows. So I figured why not have another show uh, with a separate audience and hopefully people will like me and because of that, they'll listen to this. And I think it's worked. Both shows are growing. We expect even more growth next year. Um, I really enjoyed the opportunities I got. People who had me on their podcasts, um, I appreciate them. You know, I got a chance to be on The Place to Be Nation, flagships end of their reboot and interview Justin and Scott and really enjoyed that I'm grateful to Dave Rollins my partner over at um the 24 inch podcast and of course my beautiful daughter Paula Bennett who my god her growth in podcasting this year has been just so incredible to watch uh it's really been fun listen every time I turn this microphone on I never lose sight of the fact that I only turn it on because I wanted to right this show has lasted a 10 going on 11 years now because I've wanted to do it for 10 going into 11 years. Uh, It's never going to be canceled or no one's going to be able to tell me I can't do it. It's going to be my decision to end it whenever that is. And I don't feel like I'm close to that. You know, even though 10 years have now officially passed, we're going into year 11. I feel like I'm just hitting my streak. I feel like I'm just starting to get good at this. That just maybe, that just maybe... I'm all right at this and that this show can really grow from what it's been. And, you know, yeah, 2014, it was named one of the best sports podcasts by Sports Illustrated. But it's so much better than that now. You know, those in the seven years since then, I've grown immensely as a podcaster and as a person. You know, I want to be a good podcaster, but I've really dedicated my life in the last few years around a singular purpose to be a great dad and to be a good husband and I think that those go hand in hand and that's been where my effort has been and being a great dad and a good man at home I feel like has made me a better podcaster Um, and I might not have the amount of listeners of someone like Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro that's okay I'm never going to Uh, But the people who do listen, this last minute's for you because I have so much appreciation and respect for everyone who's taken one second out of their lives to listen to my work. I appreciate everyone so much that's emailed or tweeted or criticized or praised or whatever. It is an honor and that is not false humility or anything else. It's from the bottom of my heart. From my broken, cut up, and half-dead body, left for dead in 2013 and 2019, I still stand before you today grateful and thankful and appreciative. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'll see you in 2022.